Good afternoon, good morning, or good evening, and welcome to the American Age podcast. This is your host, C. Travis Webb, editor of the American Age, and I am speaking to you from Banning, California. Hi, I'm Seth Rodney. I'm speaking to you from Newburgh, New York. Uh, typically, we would have Stephen uh, on the podcast, but he's out um, in poor health today, but... Um, we imagine that he'll yeah, be he was sick after his trip from from Paris. Yeah, yeah, but I imagine he'll recover soon and be back. Um, I am the former uh, senior critic and opinions editor at Hyperallergic, and now an independent curator and critic and arts writer in general. And yeah, the list is getting longer. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean, you wear, you're wearing a lot of hats now that you're, uh, you know, now that you're kind of freelancing more regularly. Mm -hmm. I mean, not that you weren't doing that before. Um, this is to remind our listeners that we practice a form of what we like to call intellectual intimacy, which is giving each other the space and time to figure out things out loud and together. And today we're going to talk about um, weak connections. So. Um, this idea was actually, um, my wife was listening to, um, I don't, and maybe it was this American life or I forget which uh, NPR show it was, but it was, she was listening to something and she was like, she was, oh, this weak connections. And it sort of tickled something in my brain, um, that I had long forgotten. Um, and so I thought, you know, this would be a fun thing for us to talk about on the, on the podcast. Basically, weak connections are kind of intermediate social connections. So these are connections uh, not as intense uh, as an intimate personal connection. So, you know, a close friend, a family member, etc. Um, and it's also not, uh, you know, full, uh, fully uh, anonymized. So it's not uh, someone like a complete stranger. So... Um, you know, a weak connection is not probably um, the dry cleaner whose first name you know that you see once a month. Uh, a weak connection is um, maybe if you are a writer, uh, a fellow writer who you have semi-regular contact with. Maybe you aren't uh, involved in the minutia of their lives with at home or you know their family, but you have a number of professional connections with them. Um, and these weak connections turn out to be hugely important for your sense of well-being. Like your actual sense of like um, kind of self-acceptance and 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 even happiness um, uh, are are largely, mitigated or influenced by these weak connections, which is super fascinating, even more so over intimate connections. Um, so I don't know, I thought it'd be a fun thing to talk about. Uh, obviously, there uh, there are ways to go with this. Uh, a number of articles about weak connections popped up, uh, popped up during uh, the pandemic because a lot of weak connections were um, attenuated or severed. Um, uh, but that's not really the point of the conversation. It's more just um, um, sort of thinking through and kind of talking about um, talking about these associations. So, Seth, do you want to, after that intro, you want to add anything to it or you want to just kind of jump in with your stuff? Sure. Well, what what um, 
I know about this really. I know through a, a, an essay, an essay that you forwarded to me that I read, um, uh, which is, uh, hosted on the BBC site and it's, uh, uh, in the life project series, the title of the piece is why your weak tie friendships may me may mean more than you think. And it's written by someone named Ian Leslie, um, published on July 2nd, 2020. It, it, talks about the work of a sociology professor at Stanford University, Mark Granoviter, Granoviter, I'm not sure, but he had a paper entitled The Strength of Weak Ties. And uh, based on that, Leslie goes on to talk about how these sort of, what's the word to use, kind of fleeting social interactions actually end up being rather important to um, our sense of self. And what I felt when I read this was how much, although I appreciate the argument, how much I have a hard time seeing it play out in my own life comes Mm. up in reading this. And I say that because I think of the times when I've had these opportunities. You know, I've lived in various places. Uh, uh, and I can, I can remember always kind of struggling with these kinds of um, sort of, uh, um, what's the word I'm looking for? These sort of, not frivolous, but nebulous connections to people. Like there was a guy... Mm-hmm. When I worked at Mount Sinai Hospital in the early 90s, I was just between things. I really didn't know what I wanted to do with my life. I I hadn't gone back to undergrad uh, yet, and I don't know if I had started writing poetry yet. But anyway, I had this job working at the surgical ICU in Mount Sinai, just pushing paper around. And I would get up and go into the ICU every now and again, and i see this guy named Craig. And Craig was, in some ways, like a kind of, Almost a stereotype of a black man in New York in the nineties, like mm, really mm. baggy trousers, like um, gold cap teeth, a, a boombox on his shoulder. <laughs> no, well, he was working in the ICU, so yeah, no, um, I know. I've just said the yeah. stereotype. So, <laughs> like the you know like the gold frame glasses and um, and um, you know big baggy shirt and bright tie, and I would go in and I would say hello to Craig, um, like almost every day. And we'd have the same greeting to each other. I'd be like, hey, what's up? And he'd be like, all right, all right. <laughs> like every day, all right, all right. <laughs> that was all he ever did. That was, the, that was the extent of our conversation. And I just, I don't know. It just, it, it always felt sort of um, unsatisfying to me. And I think about later interactions like that, where I'd just wave at someone or they'd wave at me in the hallway and passing each other on the way to whatever. Um, and I think that for most of my life, I really shied away from those kinds of interactions. I'm not exactly sure why they tend to make me feel the opposite of comforted, really. Like they tend to make me feel like Mm. in some ways exposed in a way that I don't like. And I find that strange. I feel like this reading this piece is exposed this version of myself to my to me, which I sort of have been kind of aware of, but not really. And I and I, I want to I don't know I don't 
can't tell whether I should just chalk this up to just me being shy or there's something deeper there, but I don't, I'd much rather have the deep conversation about what we're doing with regards to our fear of death than have this sort of mm-hmm. conversation, this sort of interaction where I just sort of wave at you while I'm like going along my merry way to like the train station. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I do. I wonder um, if if it's not a testament to the phenomena by its lack. So mm-hmm. the fact that these these sort of casual encounters, but but not but not fully strangers, right? Because mm-hmm. you have a context in which to interact and see them, so there's some familiarity there. Mm-hmm. And the fact that it bothers you that much or bothered you in the past tense that much Mm -hmm. that these connections weren't more meaningful or that you felt that you may have been missing something in these connections Mm -hmm. or and were preoccupied by that absence is in itself kind of a testament to the power of these connections Mm -hmm. um because it's 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 easy for me to imagine um like that not mattering to you or mattering to someone at all, right? Maybe they have, maybe Craig, <laughs> maybe this is a perfectly fine way, maybe Craig had very fond memories of, <laughs> of those interactions with you. Right, <laughs> and, right, and, right. Um, and, and so, yeah, I wonder, I mean, you know, not to, not to psychoanalyze it too, uh, too intensely, um, but, but the discomfort with it to me doesn't necessarily mean that it's not a relevant aspect. And in right. fact, it w- wouldn't that make your interactions kind of just heavier and weightier and and more fraught? Um, precisely because there, it, it's this weak connection that you are um, that you're inferring, you know, this this additional information from. Yeah. About yourself, right? I mean, that's the thing with the weak connection, right? It's it's some kind of reflection on on who you are, and I know, like, to bring it to something more contemporary, we can't talk about it too directly um, for reasons that you'll understand as soon as I, I mention it. But you have certain associations that you belong to, and you know, certain certain professional connections that it matters a whole lot to you that you get recognized, mm-hmm. and 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 I mean, in in a way that is. That's um, uh, that's been a recurring conversation between us. I mean, we were just literally just talking this before we started the podcast. I mean, that's a weak connection, right? I mean, those are uh, these are people that you don't really know. I mean, kind of probably know them at a cocktail party or an art opening, but don't know right. the details of their lives. Right, right, um, right. So, I mean, I think that would be a, a good example of that too. Yeah, I think that's that's right. I mean, to a great extent, Facebook really constitutes. A kind of electronic version of those acquaintance connections, yes, right? a sea of weak connections, right? Yeah, right. Yeah. Uh, but what's, I guess, what my tendency is, uh, at least on that side, my tendency is to put out. Well, I don't know. If, I don't know that I'm necessarily in control of this phenomenon. I'm about to say that what my tendency mm. is on that side. Uh, is to uh, is to put out opinions that attract a lot of very passionate responses. Like just last mm-hmm. week, I said I put out I said something about 
uh, Dave Chappelle's monologue and SNL, uh, where mm. he took kind of. I only how was it? I only saw I saw the um, the Trump part, yeah. which I thought was pretty spot on. Yeah. But I didn't see. I, I mean, I meant to watch the rest of it, and it, I, so people are accusing him of anti-Semitism. Yeah, or something like that. yeah, 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 that yeah. The, yeah. So I I listened to it and I thought. No, not anti-Semitic at all. Smart. There's a point, a okay. point at which uh, he said, you know, I went to Hollywood and there are a lot of Jewish people, like a lot. <laughs> 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 and he said, you know, there's this story, this, this notion that, you know, because mm-hmm. there are a lot of these people that they must control Hollywood. And he, and he said, but I know a lot, I know some towns where there are a lot of black people and they don't control anything. So, mm-hmm. da, 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 da. Uh, and yeah. I thought that was yeah. one of the wisest parts of the monologue. And so I went on and I said, uh, I like David. I think basically this is all I said in, in the post. I saw Dave Chappelle's SNL monologue. I liked it. I thought it was smart. I had a couple of people come out guns blazing, shit like, saying shit like, what if I went on here and I said that all Jamaicans are drug dealers? How would you feel if I did that? And I was like, what is wrong with you? Like, what the actual fuck? Um, So I unfriended that person quickly. Uh, And it turns out that she's... Right out. (laughs) What did you say? I said, right out. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, it turns out that she's uh, uh, an artist in, I think, in California, actually, um, uh, identifies as queer and Jewish. Um, and just, you know, kind of was front and center with her identity in responding to me in a re- in what I thought was a very unthoughtful way. Uh, yeah. What I guess I'm getting at is that there are a lot of these interactions in Twitter, or rather on, on Facebook, um, Twitter less so, but on Facebook, in which these sort of acquaintances essentially end up sort of trying to, end up sort of moving up the ladder in terms of significance mm-hmm. to me uh, by posting mm-hmm. These rather passionate screeds, and of course, there are arguments that I get involved in because I'm not just gonna sit back and let someone say some stupid, semi-racist shit about me. Uh, and so, the, these I find these arguments tend to escalate rather quickly, uh, and 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 so they, mm. the, the, they don't remain sort of weak ties for for long. It seems like they just they get stronger. Pretty quickly, uh, given that the way that 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 site sort of uh, attracts that kind of like back and forth, maybe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the social media thing. I know uh, certainly, if you look up weak connections, you'll definitely find lots of articles that attribute it to to social media, which. Um, I'm not making a judgment about the appropriateness of that. It, it may, in fact, be appropriate. Um, there is a kind of um, there is an attenuousness to a social media connection that is different than a connection in kind of a professional context. 
in which you're interacting with people mm. around a physical space or you know around um, you know kind of like your professional activities or whatever. So it seems appropriate, but it does, it does seem somewhat limited. Um, but um, you know where I see weak connections really powerfully at play mm. um, is around politics mm. um, because the the amount of the amount of shorthand information that the vast majority of us rely on and perhaps even need to rely on to make political judgments about a vastly complicated system such as the United States let alone you know um, geopolitical uh, interactions really to me for the most part seems to come down to network affiliations these kind of weaker connections like sort of where where our social network kind of orients itself and it may not like you know we're not automatons it doesn't exactly dictate how we feel about about every single issue maybe some things we look into a little bit more and we have a more nuance to take or maybe some things we know a whole lot about and so we're not influenced by it you know we're not really buffeted by the opinion but this sort of shorthand, like apprehension, you know, kind of hot take, which is a lot of what political thought is in the United States now. Maybe it always was. Mm. Actually, uh, mm. seems to really depend on weak connections. Um, yeah, and 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 really seems to shape kind of the discourse um, uh, around how we engage with one another. So I mean I see it I see it at play there a lot more than maybe like the social media example even though of course we could talk about that too and you know there's a, a perfectly good example you just had so yeah well that's making me think about Leslie's example so Ian Leslie going back to the piece that I mentioned talked about mm-hmm. spending time with his choir and how much he liked being part of this larger whole and even though he did not have mm-hmm. deep conversations with any of the people he sang with. He still felt like mm-hmm. it was really helpful and healthy for him to have that kind of association where he cracked the odd joke with them or just exchange sort of um, anecdotes about their families. Um, and I'm thinking that, yeah, exactly. I, I don't think I have that in my life, and I think I may be missing that. I think the last time I did was when I w- was part of a fencing club, when I lived in um, mm, mm-hmm. California, uh, these were people I didn't share any sort of like political affiliation with, uh, any sort mm, of racial mm-hmm. or ethnic or religious, uh, not even in most cases geographical. We just, I mean, we le- lived in very different parts of LA. So, and, 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 and no, no not even um, professional. So, um, mm. Yeah, we really just came together over a sport. And that was mm-hmm. a good enough reason to spend a few hours at the Sal just learning and playing and um, essentially competing with each other. And I, I'm realizing now that, yeah, I haven't had that in a really long time. And mm. maybe that's why, oh. maybe, that, sorry, let me just finish this thought. Maybe that's why there's so much energy put into these positions we take with regards to the art scene, why people just go on and on with their Instagram screeds about how such and such a person mm. doesn't, or is problematic, or, or, or like, I just, it, it, there's, 
a lot of energy being put into taking political mm. positions and trumpeting mm. them. And they're not enough, I think maybe for me at least, I can say not enough energy being put into something that's just about being excellent, you know, like becoming mm. a really good singer, becoming a really good swimmer. Like maybe I should just join a swim club. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, I, I'm actually, I'm glad you, you finished the thought because I, I didn't necessarily know where you were going with it. I had a, not a different response, but more of a question. Mm. I guess the question is still uh, applicable. Um, uh, so I definitely think, believe that there is a dearth of that uh, right now in the country, at least amongst a certain class of people, mm. right? Uh, and I, I don't mean this in a heavy handed way, but elite culture not like those evil elites. I just mean like, you know, you're preoccupied with, we are preoccupied with things that would be typically associated with elite culture in the United States, as opposed to like, you know, uh, the 4-H club in, you know, some middle, you know, Middletown America or something where, like that where would, would probably not be considered. A, sorry, I just quick question, Travis, where would you put being a member of a choir? Would that be, would that strike you as elite? So I think it would depend. Mm. I think if you were, I think it would, if you were a member of uh, a choir that was doing, uh, you know, Baroque, uh, you know, repertoire at the Met, that's pretty elite. Mm. I think if you're in a church choir in Searcy, Arkansas, that's probably mm. not so elite. And mm. so, mm. you know, probably not just that activity alone. Mm. It, there probably needs to be some other, you know, things associated. Just like politics are not always an elite preoccupation. You might be super preoccupied with, you know, zoning laws mm. in your county mm. in, mm. you know, Louisiana or something mm -hmm. like that. Yeah, um, okay. yeah, uh, that makes sense. So, um, but... I was going to I was going to ask so mm. I appreciate you mentioning kind of this these other activities that aren't like political mm -hmm. like so not political that like it doesn't even come like you don't even think to wonder what your fencing partner like who did they vote for in 2012 or whatever well, like it just Well I, actually towards the end of my time there I did I did come to think about that because they actually started to have political conversations and most of the, those guys mm. were, were just Republicans. They were just like, and, and this was the time of George Bush. And mm -hmm. my, you know, my opinion of George Bush was just like, this guy is a complete idiot. Like, 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 inches of idiocy <laughs> like, like, uh, right. uh you have to get to to get to get to his brain matter like i just i yeah and and it didn't matter to them it just so that bothered me towards the end but you know there was a golden period there where we didn't talk politics at all yeah maybe it shouldn't bother us though i mean mm -hmm. that's a separate we, kind of a separate conversation but maybe that shouldn't bother us maybe like our opinions about strangers we don't know shouldn't matter that much to us well I, you know i mean yes and no i mean I, I i think i think that there's something to be said for the argument about not being neutral not able not one not being able to be neutral on a moving train but at the same time i i want to be able mm -hmm. to have a space in, except everyone's on the same moving train so you have the same inertial frame so yeah, actually, that's a good point. That is that is that is a good point. But that is to say, I think Howard Zinn's argument was that then you're not neutral 
is is his larger point, right? So so you can't oh, so you can't yeah. make this claim no, to no, neutrality. No, no, I'm not saying I'm not saying that you should be neutral or that any one person should be neutral. Um, I feel like that's you know, you know, we could sort of flirt with the conversation around objectivity, which I know you and I have disagreed about before. Mm. Although I think we probably don't disagree as much as 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 it seems like we do. But um, I, I don't mean I don't mean that you need to be neutral about it. I mean that that maybe. It's just not that important. That's <laughs> what fair, I mean. Like fair, maybe fair. it's just not that important. Like maybe what is most important about these guys that you would come together and fence with was that they were committed and honest fencing partners. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. And and their their political orientation, their their fondness for for Bush, which is probably more nuanced than I mean, because most most of our opinions are more nuanced, right? Then we we let we let insiders in on our nuanced takes, and you know, outsiders we hold at arm's length about mm. them. Um, but maybe it's just not that important, <laughs> like, you know. It, it just it, it just now. I don't mean I don't mean that there aren't you know. Um. I don't mean that there aren't social circles in which it isn't super important. Like if you are working on, you know, the Republican campaign, the Democratic campaign, or whatever, clearly these things are um, are more important. Although even then, like I mean, you you might work on a different campaign later. You know what I mean? So I I I just I I feel like um, it's possible that we freight our uh, our opinions, our non neutral opinions. With just too much importance about what it means for what kind of humans we are. You know, it, uh, it's very possible that you're right about that. Uh, what I would like is to have a space where I meet with people who are not close friends, maybe just um, maybe just people who I meet because we have this shared interest in something, like like a swimming club. Like I, um, you know, part of the yeah, reason yeah. I was in the Bahamas. Besides starting to write the first chapter of my memoir, was to learn to swim, and I feel like I got mm-hmm. pretty much three quarters, maybe four fifths of the way there. But I still need to work on my breathing technique because I didn't quite get that down. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. and I was looking in Newburgh for a place where I might continue my lessons, and I found a place, and they offer group lessons, and I, I was wrestling with myself. Should I take the group lesson or should I do a private lesson? Like, what's what's the sort of pros and cons? Mm-hmm. And uh, I hadn't made a decision yet, but now that we're talking about it, I mean, my, it makes it may make sense for me to just decide on the aspect that allows me to be more social with people who I do not know. Mm-hmm. But you know, at the same time, Travis, I have to say, there is a part of me too that's always a little bit trepidatious about these things because. I know what it's like to be in this body and go to spaces that where this body doesn't totally feel welcome. You know what I mean? Like, like it feels like I never kind of outrun my blackness, at least not here in America. So there are times when, when I, I, you know, I, I'm not saying that it always happens, but even last night I was at the... Yeah, I... Uh, go ahead. Oh, no, please go ahead. No, no, no! Please go. Ahead. I was at the uh, 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 what you might call it anniversary 
uh, potluck for the yoga studio mm-hmm. that I attend. It's just down the street in Liberty mm-hmm. Street, about I don't mm-hmm. know, ten minutes walk. And um, even there, there were lots of people there I like and, and felt very very at ease with, but there were some people that just mm-hmm. their energy was like a little, mm, a little off. And I felt like, oh, if there were a bunch of you, people like you here, I would feel really unwelcome. So there's always that. I'm, so, I feel like I'm negotiating. Um, so I know, I mean, you've talked about this for a long time mm. as far as um, the relief you felt living in the UK mm. uh, because you felt that your blackness wasn't really a topic of conversation. I mean, not that it's always literally a topic. It wasn't even, um, it just wasn't an interesting variable right. to people. Mm. Uh, it, it wasn't, uh, you know, content of your character kind of stuff right. is, is right. how people were evaluating you. Um, and that always made made and makes sense to me. It seems exhausting. Um, mm. And, it, but... It seems to me that the the country, and a particular political wing in this country, is running super hard in the other direction to call attention to your blackness and the blackness of you know the millions of other black Americans in this country, non-white Americans in this country. And how could you go anywhere at any time in 2022 in the United States? Other than maybe a church, coincidentally, and not feel that your race is a topic of of reflection or uh, or not maybe not conversation. You're not literally talking about like you know the black dude in the corner that's at the yoga studio. I mean, they're not literally doing that, but you feel it. You right, you feel that kind of energy around it. Right, um, and even to the positive. Yeah, even to the positive side. I mean, this is you know this kind of what we used to call uh, uh, you know soft racism. You know, like the the fetishizing. You mm-hmm. know, the magic Negro. You know, mm-hmm. all this mm-hmm. kind of stuff. You know, mm-hmm. the the protag. You know, the, the magical protagonist or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I get. I totally. Get, I get how exhausting that must be for you. I mean, one because I've known you for so many years and you've mentioned it so many times, mm-hmm. and so yeah, that fucking sucks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it sounds, mm-hmm. it sounds shitty. Um, it just seems to me that it, it seems um, that you know the, the very weak connection that you were, you know, that we're talking about seems to be an antidote to that, right? I mean, mm-hmm. like, in in the way it doesn't always have to be, but in what we're talking about, you know, like a sports connection, swimming, all this, you know, yoga is another example or whatever, mm-hmm. like kind of moving through spaces where that isn't on issue. That isn't a topic that isn't anything that's really relevant about it. You know, like how, what's your riposte look like, or, you know, how, right. how's your downward dog right. or whatever. Right. Know? Right. And, right. Right. And, um, and I have to say most of the time, um, um, I think maybe I, I should actually say all the time I've taken class, at the, studio, at the studio, Yoga Shala is what it's called. I've always felt super comfortable, like always. I've mm-hmm. always felt like mm-hmm. the people leading the class and the ways that they talk to people, the ways that they make eye contact, that they touch me when they're making adjustments, always felt super comfortable. What, I, what changed mm-hmm. was last night, seeing the people who came, oh, all came out for the potluck. Like there were, again, lots and lots of great interactions that were great, but there were a couple, there was one couple in particular. The energy I felt from them was just like, they would not be interested in talking with me at all. 
just mm. not. Well, maybe that wasn't about your race. Very possible. But but what else about me? I mean, like visibly the, would make that right. <laughs> like because maybe maybe they overheard maybe they overheard a snippet of your conversation and and mm, didn't like it. Mm, maybe they didn't like your voice. Mm, maybe they actually really did like you, but are shy. Mm, uh, I mean, this is certainly something that gets misread all the time. Is that sh- shy people that are shy come off as standoffish mm, and. Um, and arrogant, mm. and but really they're just quiet and withdrawn because they don't know how to talk to people. And you know, it particularly you know is true you know for shy people that are more attractive because you know you're when you see someone that's attractive, you feel like you're being judged or watched or seen because you're seeing them, so you're kind of reflecting that back, right? Um, but really, they're just shy. Mm. You know, I, I I'm, I'm I'm not I wasn't there. I'm not. I'm not saying you're. I have no idea. Maybe these people are super racist or something. Or I have no idea. And I know, you know, one of the and also to bracket, you know, you and I have known each other for so long. I am sometimes, um, I'm sometimes surprised at the ways um, people's soft racism emerges in conversations with you. I'm, I, I'm talking. You, you had a. I don't want to use the name, but you know, you had a close friend in uh, for a while <clears throat> in Princeton, and you know, you um, okay. Now you're nodding, so you know who I talk, yeah, I'm talking. Yeah, about yeah, 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 yeah. And recounting this life event where he was, um, he was like, is he beat up or robbed by some black kid or a no, couple no, no, black kids just, or something no, like just, that? No, he was just the guy was just really angry and he was just kind of had this threatening attitude and i don't i don't think he was hurt at all by this other guy who was angry he was just mm-hmm, he just mm-hmm, felt mm-hmm. his rage that's all it was very palpable yeah but he felt like he needed to talk, to talk with you about this right. because you're black. Right. <laughs> exactly. Like, I know. Like, like, God, I as if like, you represent all. I, I mean, I so so I am mm. often, you know, I I am often surprised or have been surprised over the years in the ways in which these encounters emerge for you. I'm sure Stephen has probably similar stories. Um, and so I don't want to discount those. You know I don't discount those. Um I, it's just, you know, I think the solution to them is to give people the benefit of the doubt until you have a reason not to give them the benefit of the doubt. And unfortunately, <laughs> you've had a number of instances where there's reason to not give someone the benefit of the doubt. I get that. So yeah, and it I, gets and harder to do over time, for, for sure. For sure. And I also think that as I get older, my antennae just get more finely attuned so that, mm. you know, 20 years ago, I may have been like, oh, maybe they are just shy. But no, there's this particular mm. tang to their diffidence that I just, I, mm. I just, it just, it just reads, it just reads in that way for me. And I have to, again, mm-hmm. I really mm-hmm. want to emphasize the majority of interactions I had last night at the yoga shala were great. In fact, I ended up talking with this mm-hmm. guy named Ellis and his wife, Laura. And Laura used to teach at Pratt. They're both artists, I think. And he, I think he does more tech side stuff now. And I think Laura is working with the mm. uh, city government in California to improve hiring something, procedures, something like that. 
uh, hiring and recruitment procedures. Great conversation. And at no point in the conversation did they remind me that I was black or that my blackness was a really, really important to them. Like they did, we just talked about mm -hmm. shit that I was writing, stuff that I had been doing with studio visits and whatnot. And he's like, Oh, do you know so and so? Oh, mm -hmm. and I know that painter too. And I know that painting. And yeah. And what would you recommend? We're mm -hmm. going into town to see stuff. Do, what do you think? I was like, Oh, I'd go to the Met. Great conversation. Really fun. Really mm -hmm. convivial. Yeah. And at no point, at no point did that, that racial market come into, into play. And, and and yet, you know, there was that one couple out of the corner of my eye. I passed by the woman once, and we sort of made eye contact but very faintly or briefly. And it, there was just a whiff mm -hmm. from her, just a whiff of like, "Oh, I don't, I don't, I don't feel comfortable that you're here." Just just a whiff of mm. that. Mm, yeah, I don't know. I don't know, but yeah, but that the caveat is, I still want to find spaces where people come together for reasons that are like what Ian Leslie is talking about. Just like they want to sing together, you know. Yeah. So I wonder. I mean, does it? So let's say that your read on that situation is correct, mm -hmm. and that there is some, there was some kind of reflexive read of who you were. Mm -hmm based on your race mm. um, quote unquote race because you know I don't like that those designations yeah but, I don't like, um, I don't either it's just stupid it's just I, I try to say uh, so, but as a shorthand yeah but yeah, yeah yeah so as a shorthand is it is it any different than any of the other ignorances that we all walk around with you know I mean we're all flawed. Right. We all have we all have our prejudices. We all have I mean, this is where I would go with you on the not. This is I would certainly uh, jump on your side of it with the lack of neutrality thing. So like we can't be perfectly neutral or perfectly objective. We all have our own sort of set of baggage based on our own particular life circumstances and just chance encounters with peoples and the world. So in twenty twenty two is the racial one any different or any worse than any other, you know, kind of stupidity that, you know, exists in the world with a couple of caveats. Obviously, if you are, it is definitely different if you are a cop walking a beat in Philadelphia or something like that. Like, he's potentially much more harm with, you know, with that, with that bias as opposed to, you know, some other kind of bias. So I'm not saying... There's no context in the United States in 2022. I'm saying in general, the context that we come into contact with or the context that we are regularly moving through are filled with all kinds of shortcomings and um, cognitive misapprehensions. Maybe we need to cut everyone some slack. Like maybe we need to give each other a little bit of space. <clears throat> Excuse me for our collective and individual inadequacies so that you know, I'm sorry good no no I interrupted you keep 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 you keep oh well, I was just going to round it off and and say and say that there you know to give some more space for these positive weak connections mm -hmm. to form around um 
things that aren't fraught with politics? So um, two things about that. One is you started off by asking a question like something along the lines of like, how is this different from the other sort of stupidities or shortcomings that we carry around? Right, right, right. And and I think part of my answer is that it's more significantly harmful in that those stupidities tend to congeal together and create either certain kinds of conversations or discourse or certain kinds of communities in which people like me are, or from which people like me are excluded, or or maybe neighborhood associations even, maybe communities is a way of saying that, from which people like me might, might be excluded. So like the potential for a kind of soft, even maybe unconscious exclusion, I think are heightened by that particular kind of stupidity. But to your point of cutting people some slack, let me, let me relate this anecdote. I thought I maybe had already with you, but maybe I didn't. I, I think I've told mm-hmm. this story a, mm-hmm. a few times. When I was in uh, Minnesota in mid-October, I had been invited to attend a university, specifically the arts program, and do studio visits with some of the MFA students. And... Mm-hmm. Hold a seminar, two seminars, Thursday, one Thursday, one Friday, uh, on topics that were interesting to me. Though both the undergrad and grad students were invited to the, those seminars to attend those seminars, mm-hmm. and both groups did. And in the first one, we were talking about, at my behest, the issue of using the term "black bodies." I have developed mm-hmm. this conviction that we need to stop using that term because it's a kind of dehumanizing it has a kind of dehumanizing effect I, and then i talked about the sort mm. of what i thought were the origins of the term and how it was used as a kind of shorthand to talk about a kind a kind of uh collective response uh or a kind of systematic mm-hmm. response to um not just a black person but like the sort of black person as representative of a set of Mm -hmm. behaviors, fears, blah, blah, blah. And there's a young man sitting across from me. There's a, we were all arranged around the table and he started talking in this conversation about black bodies, about how not everyone in the South owned slaves and, and man, he got there, you know, logically, um, it was part of the flow of the conversation Mm -hmm. And he said something weird. Like, I don't remember what it was exactly, but he said something that mm-hmm. was a slightly a bit jarring. So, uh, he, he said it in such a way that kind of part of the table, kind of there was a kind of you know ripple around the table, and the woman who was sitting mm-hmm. next to me, black woman older, probably my age, said something like, and while the young man was still speaking, she said something like, uh-uh. And... and I said, hold on. I said, what we're going to do here, and this is really important, what we're going to do is we're going to give each other the space to figure this out as we go. 
we may not always get it mm-hmm. right in what we're trying to articulate, but that's okay mm-hmm. because that's part of the process mm-hmm. of figuring out how to say what we want to say or um, mm-hmm. how to make sense of this naughty issue. And I said, okay, so go ahead, go, go ahead, keep going. And he mm-hmm. kept going and he got it. He figured it out and said what he needed to say. And the conversation continued. Now, I will be the first to say that in most circles that I know in the arts community or arts adjacent community, that uh oh would have been. It would have been the end of him. It would have been the end of him, and there would have been like bad energy in the room, and then there would have been a lot of like snide recriminatory remarks made, Mm. and like people might have left feeling Mm. hurt. Like all kinds of stupid shit would have happened. And I don't mm-hmm. see that happening enough, in, especially in public mm-hmm. forums, where people are allowed to just like not get it right immediately, but like mm-hmm. work through the thing anyway, especially when these yeah. fraught, yeah. fraught conversations around race. So I'm with you on that. I'm also mm-hmm. aware that what's sort of at risk is essentially what's always been at risk with black people in the U.S., which is um, a kind of exclusion, which can be really harmful. Yeah, I appreciate the the anecdote, and uh, you hadn't shared that before, and I think it's wonderful. I think that's you know a spectacular thing to do and a process that is certainly not done enough. Agreed. Um, uh, I think... I mean, we're, we're moving a little bit from weak connection, but I think that's okay because um, I mean, it's a good it's a good conversation to have. Mm-hmm. I think there is a grievous intellectual error that is afoot in the United States in the 21st century, born out of the late 20th century, which is that the solution to the problem that we both see, the solution to the problem that we both recognize, which is that the United States which is in principle a nation, not necessarily a country, a nation <clears throat> dedicated to the virtues of um, liberty and the pursuit of human flourishing was founded on, on a critical lie, which is that that, that destiny and that, um, that birthright uh, was the purview of white males, and that uh, it was their it was their calling, their responsibility, their duty to lead the rest of the kind of benighted races of man, you know, on this path. That was a, is a terrible, pernicious, evil lie um, that was believed by millions of people, um, and was kind of the shit out of which the United States emerged. But the way to disinfect that, the way to cure that, is to fucking stop talking about it. Mm. I mean, race. Like, what we've done, like, we... we, the, The Freedom Riders did their job. Like, none of us are on that bus. Like, I know that... I know that Nicole Hannah-Jones and these kind of figures want to uh, 
want to like sort of embody like Fannie Lou Hammer and, and Hamer, or I think Hamer. I always forget how to say yeah. your last name. Hamer. Hamer mm-hmm. Yeah. They, I, I get it. These people are, or they, they were heroic mm-hmm. figures, heroic. I mean, just larger than life. I mean, absolutely on par, you know, with the, 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 the founding fathers. I'm using air quotes because, you know, it's got to be careful with it. But I mean, Martin Luther King absolutely completed, um, the American, not completed, but like carried forward the American project. Like put him up on Mount Rushmore, absolutely one thousand percent. Absolutely, you know. So, and and these other leaders of the civil rights movement as well. And now, our job <clears throat> is to go. Okay, yes, this was all like egregiously wrong. Let's figure out how to relate to each other as human beings and not as racialized bodies. And I say that phrase intentionally, racialized body. We have racialized the body. I completely um, agree. Sorry, and no, no, I completely agree. But, but I just wanted to kind of work the question, the conversation back to what we started with. So what, 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 <laughs> I appreciate it. What, we, go for we, it. What <laughs> groups do you belong to now that you feel kind of do that? Do you, or do you belong to a group that, that you feel kind of tries to do that? Uh, so I feel like I feel like America is is like littered with groups like this that don't like. I think professional sports doesn't give for the most part. I don't think they give two shits about like the race question. I mean, you get head coaches talking about this all the time. Like, stop talking about it. Like, I want this. You know, yeah, we're going to pay twenty million because I could care less. Like, you know what? How you know what this person looks like, or what their cultural background is, or what continent they originally like? It just doesn't matter. I think sports is a place that 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 is. Uh, and if you, I and mean, this is what I mean, though. So, of course, if you take the right kind of lens and you you take the right kind of analytical tools, can you peel back the layers and find race as an issue in sports in America? Yeah, of course you can. Just like if I were a particularly focused doctor, I could find the precursors of cancer in your body right now, regardless of whether you are actually going to develop, you know, uh, some kind of carcinoma. So, of course, we we all be, again because of the flaw thing that I was sort of gesturing to earlier. Like, oh, go ahead. Go no, ahead. Well, I agree with you. I actually agree with you. I think that you. I mean, you don't have to put too fine a point on this for me because I actually agree with you. I think that sports is actually one of the places where it's not like we've transcended race. Like we still racialize bodies no. all over the place, but there is a that is a place where race is just much lower on the list of things that are important like you like yeah. you like like you said like you a lot of times you're just like looking at this athlete what is she capable of like does she have a good three pointer can she like protect her dribble like you know that kind of like that like you know is yeah. she, what is what's her academic standing is she going to be able to go through a four year you know yeah. program that kind of thing so i'm i'm totally on i'm totally on board with that, um, in fact, doing the research that we're doing for the um, Get in the Game show that's going to be at SF MoMA in 2024, that's one of the things, that's one of the conversations we've been having about how um, sort of race kind of wends its way through and permeates um, all of um, organized athletics and sports. And yet, it's also this moment where uh, 
that's not the main thing on the discussion. Yeah, it's and, totally. And, and yeah, there's, it's there's a whole homosocial thing or aspect too that that needs to be talked about, um, which we will um, find ways into. But no, uh, the question was more. And I wasn't. It wasn't so theoretical. It was actually like really directed towards you, like. You, Travis Webb, do you belong? Martial arts would be one. You martial, were? yeah, martial arts right, would be one. Right, so so martial arts, right? Uh, yeah, so there would be one. Yeah, so I, 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 I wish you'd let people know about matter. about that because that's been a huge part of your life for a long time. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I kind of lost contact with it for many years. I mean, I still trained, but I didn't, you know, train in a group or with a school or anything like that. But yeah, when I was, um, when I was, uh, I mean, young, I started as a kid, mm -hmm. but starting at the age of 16, um, I started driving like, you know, 30 miles every day after school to this, uh, Korean, uh, martial art studio, um, called Hwarangdo mm -hmm. in, uh, it was in Downey, California. <clears throat> it's about 30 minutes away from the house. Mm -hmm. And then, I did that every day for two years, and then I moved into the studio and did this apprenticeship program where I lived with like the Korean family there, mm. and trained every day, uh, all the time. Mm. Um, and you know, it's it's a comprehensive art, which means you know you kind of it was just before there was really MMA, but so mm. it was um, you do kind of all aspects of martial art from grappling all the way up to like weapons, and then there's also you know kind of. Uh, Eastern medicine is uh, traditional medicine as a part of it. So you learn <clears throat> meridians and acupuncture points and stuff like that. So huge part of my life. Mm. Uh, super multiracial. Like mm. <laughs> I, mm. you know, I, I mean, just it was, it was really just irrelevant. Except I will say that the the first generation um, uh, Koreans were super racist. <laughs> <laughs> like super duper racist. Like I mean, really, like about the most racist people I've ever known intimately. Which honestly um, helps me. You know, it's not. I mean, I think you know this. I would say this for the listeners. The reason that I feel like we should cut people some slack is not because I'm white and want people to cut me slack. It's because I've been around some super racist people in my life, and I know that that's not the only thing that defines them. You know, I mean, like, I mean, really, I mean, super duper racist. I mean, against everyone. No, you know, no, I, I mean, get basically. It. Uh, so, no, um, no, I get it. I get it. I get it. Anyway, there. so I just, I just wish, when looking back on my life, I kind of wish that I had opted for a different thing rather than fencing because I feel like I don't know if you would agree with this, but it feels like you got more out of Guarando than I got out of fencing, just in terms of like. The knowledge base, you know, learning um, about physical meridians in the body and um, learning how to throw a punch correctly or how to roundhouse kick and all of these things. I feel like that stuff stays with you. Whereas with the fencing, for me, it was, it's so highly stylized and it's so particular to that sport that I don't feel like I can take any of those lessons away and go with them anywhere. I, I think that's probably not true because uh, because you're learning very similar body positions. Like when I would watch you fence, mm -hmm. I mean, these are there are so many. There are only so many ways that you can stand for stability, mm -hmm. right? I mean, there's you know there's a handful of ways that you do that, and you use a lot of those in fencing. Mm -hmm. um, uh, and your body movement and positioning and timing and all of these things are skills. I mean, the very best thing you can do to be to learn how to defend yourself isn't. I mean, 
sure the actual techniques around punching and kicking are relevant, but really it's you just have to fight people. Like you just gotta, you know, and it's better if you put some pads on so you're not like cutting yourself up or getting too hurt or hurting someone else, but you just gotta get in front of another body and try and hit them and then them try and hit you or you try and lock them out or they try and lock you out. And it's really what you gotta do to get better at it. Um but outside of that no, I think you know, learning how to move through physical space, which is going to be far more relevant for you in your life than like learning how to fight ninjas. You know what I mean? Like you just, it's like you know, moving through the city requires body awareness. It's going to be far more applicable to you on an everyday basis than the other. So, I mean, yeah, maybe there's some difference between what you got out of it, but I, I don't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say it's like quantum leaps different. So. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm glad that we talked about associations because I'm realizing now how much I kind of missed that and how I wish that uh, uh, I did. I was sort of like a member of some sort of club, uh, something where we just, you know, human beings just gathered, gathered together because they share this interest in this thing. Yeah, it's one of the things that, you know, it's one of the, I feel like there's a little bit of, um, uh, uh, karmic justice in it, in that, you know, I, for most of my intellectual life, and certainly in in many conversations you and I have had, it's mm-hmm. been about calling attention to the ways that politics in in uh, permeate um, many of our everyday interactions, mm-hmm. and call and 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 trying to bring that to mind and and bring that to our, our full attention. Mm-hmm. And fuck, we got what we wanted, and now everything is politics, and it's exhausting, and it's pernicious, and it's super not helpful. <laughs> like, I agree. It's really like it's just too much now. Like, I agree. It, it's it's true. Like you know, I get it. You know, we've we've all read the same. You know, we've all read Gramsci. We've all read the same stuff. I know it's there, but. Uh, <laughs> Like we, you really, we got to dial it back. Yeah. It's just, it's too much. Yeah, I, I, I was on Facebook a couple of years ago, and um, the artist Nona Faustine, who I've written about and written a catalog essay for, uh, said something on a Facebook page like, "Something, something, something. Everything is about race." And I said in response, "Honestly, I don't think everything is about race." And I had to really think about, I've been thinking about this since actually. And she said, we had to mm. do some back and forth. Um, and I don't think I had the opportunity on that thread to say this, but if someone had asked me, what is not about race in my life? I would say, looking at a sunset. Like the, the, yeah. the, the way that I love my friend. Like that's, not, yeah. these things are not about race. There's a long list. Uh, yeah. Yeah, there's a long list. Well, what would you say yeah. is not about race for you then? I, I, so you took my it's trees, mm. <laughs> backpacking, you know, like out in like out in the woods, not about uh, race. Um, I, it, to be super like crass, like the the satisfaction you feel after taking a good dump. <laughs> like clearly not about right, you know what I mean? Like sure. just, just not, not, not about like it's just. There are so many like bodily, you know, like really good food, yeah, you know, like the, the flavors in your mouth, yeah, not yeah, about race. Yeah, yeah. Um, a super moving poem, you know. Yeah, I, I mean, the love song of J. Alfred Proof or uh, love song of J. Alfred Proofrock or something I had memorized, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. when I was younger. Mm-hmm. Not about race, mm-hmm. you know. There's a lot. 
There's a lot. Um, yeah. Mm. Okay. Well, I think that's a good place to pause. Yeah. 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 I'm good. Good. Cool. Um, so thanks, of course, for the conversation. Hopefully, Stephen's better in the next couple of weeks. I also want to give uh, the listeners a heads up. You know, we've Seth and I have started talking, and we, we'll be talking to Stephen about this too. We probably want to change some things with the podcast. Um, we are probably going to discontinue notes. Um, they're not super popular. People don't listen to them uh, as much as they listen to uh, our conversations, which I get it. And they're boring. Then <laughs> we shouldn't do them anymore. Um, and you know, we've been doing the podcast a long time. You know, uh, three, four years now, a long time. Um, and you know, we're not. Uh, we're not putting it down, but we do want to change it up a little bit. So we're trying to figure out what that's going to look like. So, you know, just kind of be on the lookout for that. Um, and as always, thanks for listening. Hey, okay, bye.